So yes, good afternoon. This is Steve Bortner. That's my name, Steve Bortner, and, and we are here for the track entitled English as Missions. Subtitle, Reaching International Students. <laughs> so I'm really glad that you guys are here, and actually I'm impressed by the title that was suggested to me six months ago. I am an international student minister, and uh, this is the real passion of my heart and the experience of my last 25 years. But I have to tell you that when the title that was suggested as English as Missions, I thought, well, yeah, English has been a very vital part of my mission to reach and disciple international students. It's just unique in its title. So you're going to see that we're not going to talk about just English language, English communication, but also about how that plays a role in our reaching and discipling international students. So in this time that we're together for about the next 50 minutes or so, we're going to learn how to use the English language as a tool to reach international students in the hopes that healthy relationships form, trust is earned, opportunities come to share the gospel, we win souls to Christ, and we disciple ones who will make disciples. And so we have a big job ahead of us for the next 45 minutes. All right. Now let me take a little survey about who's in attendance so that I can have a perspective about who it is that I'm talking to. Is there any XA staff in here? Any Chi Alpha staff, whether veteran or new? Okay. Uh, how about any CMITs, any interns that are in here? No. Okay. So uh, small group leaders, whatever you call your small group leaders, you're a small group leader. Great. Thank you. Any other Chi Alpha students? Maybe you're a small group participant. You're a part of Chi Alpha, but not necessarily a recognized and serving small group leader yet. Okay, great. How many of us are American English language native speakers? Okay, all right. How many of us are how many of us are international students? No. How many of us are international students? None. Okay, so we're all American L1 first language English speakers, right? All right, great. So we're going to have fun with this. Okay. All right. But how many of us have at least one international student or scholar friend as a part of our campus ministry or your own witness on campus? How many can say, if I asked you right now, tell me the story about your one international student friend, at least one, you could do it. Okay, all right. All right, so let me introduce myself by first saying this. I have no slides that I'm gonna show you because I'm old school a little bit in that. Uh, but secondly, any notes that you would want to take, I see some of you are ready to do that anyway in your journals or notebooks, but I do want to encourage you that if you'd like to, take your phones out right now and uh, type in my text, phone, my phone number or text, because if you text me during or after this session, then I will see to it that the framework of my notes will get sent to you anyway, okay, in a document uh, in the next few days. So as soon as I can see that you're ready, if you want, take my phone number down, all right? My wife knows I'm sharing my digits, okay? She's not, she's, she's not jealous, okay? All right? Uh, so my phone number is 919-616-6376. 919-616-6376. And if you will, put your name there, first and last name. You don't have to tell me your school, your major, you know, your ex-boyfriend's name. You, know, you don't have to tell me all that stuff, okay? Just your name. And in coming days, I'll send you the notes and the uh, book references that I'm going to be sharing with you here in a little while. Okay? Fair enough? That way, if only five of you respond, I know that I know that only five of you really cared. Okay? And it will hurt my feelings later. Okay? All right. So, who am I? I'm Steve, happily married man of 41 years with three kids and three grandchildren. All right? But when I was growing up, I was raised an Air Force brat. A military brat. Some of you can relate to that, right? I grew up in a military family. I traveled around the country and around the world. I've lived outside of the U.S. for five years of my childhood and teen years. That was in the Philippines and in Japan. I've always enjoyed cross-cultural friendships, having friends of other ethnicities, even during those tense racial environment of the 60s and the Vietnam War era, I lived through all of that as one of the rare white guys that actually had a lot of friends of color and other ethnicities. I look back on it now and I actually see that that's how God was beginning to prepare me for what my adult life would be all about. Now, I don't recall ever having trouble talking to people generally, much less those who are not like me. So, 
After graduating from a Christian college in Nashville, Tennessee, called Trevecca Nazarene College, all right, I graduated with a youth ministry degree back when we didn't even really know what youth ministry was in the mid-70s, okay? I got married, started raising my family. Uh, God blessed us with three children. We served as youth and music ministers for 12 years in churches in South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. Then I pastored a church for three and a half years in Oregon, out in the Northwest, before I ever then came into Chi Alpha. So I was never a Chi Alpha student, intern, part-time staff, until full-time staff. I came completely out of the blue when God called me into university ministries after all of those years in the local church. So for the last 25 years, I have been a Chi Alpha campus pastor. First two years were at Dartmouth College, one of the Ivy League schools up in New England. 16 years at Kent State University in Northeast Ohio, where I also, the last five years I was there, uh, was the Ohio State Chi Alpha Director, you know, the pastor of the campus pastors, all right? And then these last seven and a half years, I've been in Raleigh, North Carolina, as NC State's staff team XAI Director, Chi Alpha International's Director. And now I also serve, if you don't know, not that it's a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to me that at 63 years of age, God still has purpose for me, even within Chi Alpha, that I'm now serving as the Southeast Area's XAI Ambassador or XAI Rep, meaning we have an area rep, Mario Solari, out of the Tallahassee, Florida area, a great guy that I've known for 30-some years, um, and I'm serving with him, but with the focus on international student ministries. So you want to talk about international students? I'm your man. All right? I'd love to talk to you about that. Now, I would tell you that in most of my 25 years in Chi Alpha, the groups that I have led or pastored have been predominantly international groups, mostly Asian, African, European, some Latino. And we used to even tease the white students that, uh, you know, we only have a quota for so many white students in our Chi Alpha ministry. So if they would fill out this 25 paper page application, maybe we would consider including them in our Chi Alpha. Because whereas most Chi Alphas are 90% American, okay, and not very diverse at that, and 10% international, the ministries that I've led for 25 years have been 95 or 90% international with those token Americans, okay? Now, you might ask, why serving so much among international students involved in outreach and discipleship? Well, I used to tease people is because I just don't like American students, but that wasn't really true, okay? I love them too, the millions that are on our American campuses. But today, if some of you don't know, there are one million international students that are on our American campuses. And whether you're talking about NC State that has 3,400, okay, or whether you're talking about your campus that it might have 34 international students, it's still important to engage them that we might reach them and touch the nations through them. How many would agree? Okay, I hope you'll agree even more before we leave today. So when I was called into ministry back in my teen years, even before I went away to college, I believed that I was called into youth and missions. Now, originally I thought that what that meant was I was going to be a youth pastor in a church who either leads or then also sends his young disciples on occasional domestic or foreign mission trips, which is often what I did do uh, to countries around the world. But it was not until I became acquainted with Chi Alpha back in the mid-80s when I was a youth pastor in Orlando, Florida, that I began to envision that my calling could find its greatest expression in reaching and discipling international students, scholars, and their spouses, and inspiring and training American students to do the same, that the nations might be discipled for Christ. For you see, I went to a college and career retreat almost 30 years ago now, and when I went to that college and career retreat, the theme of that conference, led by a Chi Alpha campus pastor named Dale Crawl from Southern Illinois University, the theme of that conference, that college and career retreat, uh, has now been my life verse, essentially, for the last 30 years. It's from Psalm chapter 2, verse 8. Anybody know it by heart? I can quote it. Ask of me, and I will give the nations... as an inheritance. I'm devoting my life now to reaching international students that through them, nations might be reached, people groups might be reached, and that is the only legacy and inheritance that I care for for this world 
and I hope I might inspire you to consider the same. Ask of God, and he might give you nations as an inheritance. Psalm 2, verse 8. So, there's been many strategies that I've used over the years to impact internationals for Christ, and much of it has involved a need for good communication in English, thus the title, English as Missions. Yeah, I've engaged international students in various ways, and maybe some of you can relate to this, and I hope it inspires you and gives you some ideas of maybe of what you might do on your campus. When I first started, I didn't know anything else to do than just to be a part of the welcoming process. Do you realize a lot of our international friends have a different kind of welcome and orientation than most freshmen do, or even grad students when they go and show up on campus? I was involved, and our students were involved. By the way, if I ever say I too much, I don't mean me only. I mean I and our students, okay? We were involved in the airport greeting process and transportation from the airports into campus area. We were involved in transitional housing, campus and community tours, orientation volunteering, helping students find apartments, and then furniture for those apartments, welcoming picnics, shopping trips, to Walmart and Target and the ethnic stores that they were looking for, <coughs> tabling or whiteboard outreaches, and First 40 events, which Neely just talked about a little bit just a few minutes ago. I've led Bible study groups, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little while. I've taken students on excursions and sightseeing trips. You know, it's not hard to get a carload of people to go and have some fun and through the road trip conversations and all the experiences that you enjoy, it's amazing how friendships can grow. Anybody concur with that? All right. When I was taking students whitewater rafting and picnics and hiking and camping, and now in North Carolina to the Outer Banks, you know, to uh, Nags Head and, and such. When I took them on four-day long weekend tours of Washington, D.C.'s monuments and memorials and museums, to Niagara Falls, to Cedar Point, the roller coaster capital of the world off of Sandusky, Ohio, on Lake Erie, when I was taking them on tours of NYC and Chicago and Cleveland and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and now Charlotte, there were a lot of students that were very excited about an American friend and other Americans and some internationals who would make the time to simply engage them and invite them and include them in their lives. And it wasn't hard to do. You're just simply being a friend to people you hope will be your friends. I've invited international students to socials and holiday activities. Chinese New Year I look forward to every year. Not so much this celebration of what is important to many Asians, but because of the food people. When you have Chinese hot pot or a buffet of different Asian dishes, I'm telling you, you can eat on those celebrations. All right? We would host, of course, American holidays. I don't know that I'd call Halloween a holiday, but yeah, we, we give some significance to Halloween because students want to know what is this all about. We uh, make a big deal about Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's Eve. Yeah, even when Valentine's Day and Easter and Fourth of July come around on the calendar, we make a big deal out of it because a lot of international students aren't really well acquainted with why we celebrate and why we do what we do. And so we include them and we go to the trouble of explaining some things that long for us have been forgotten and um, taken for granted, but it's important to them. And then my wife and I began to really see the importance of inviting internationals into our home or that of a other American families' homes, extending hospitality, serving meals and refreshments, getting acquainted by simply being a guest in our home. Can I tell you, um, you may think it's a lot of trouble, but honestly, when international students are welcomed into an American family or anybody else's home while they're students here from their home country studying in America, it's a big deal to them. Do you know that 85% of all internationals who study in America never cross the threshold of some American family's home? That, I'm sorry, that's just ridiculous. That is just totally unnecessary that we can't be hospitable enough to at least ask them over for a cookout or whatever the occasion might be. But most internationals study here for two years, four years, six or eight years, and cannot say that they ever enjoyed the experience of going into an American family's home. How many are here that might help me change that trend, right? Anybody? Okay. That's just wrong, people. It's just wrong. And then home visitation. It was a hallmark of my youth ministry years, and it still continues now in my 42nd year of ministry, and that is I love to visit students where they live in their apartments, in their dorms, in their 
um, uh, houses, so to speak, okay? Um, and it makes an impression on them because you see in their culture, hospitality and greeting somebody as a guest at their home is a big deal. We've so belittled it anymore about like, why would I go visit somebody at their house? Why not just wait to see if I bump into them at campus? Why not make the intentional effort? It makes an impression on them. So you see, there were a lot of things that I and we as a student ministry could be involved in that isn't really hard to do, but a lot of it was um, revolving around this sense of getting to know people by using the shared, agreed language of English. Do you realize what a lot of our international friends have to go through just to get ready to come here? We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. It's not like you who are saying, well, you know, I'm going to a southern school now. I don't know if I can understand their accent. We're talking about students who maybe five or seven years before didn't know one English word, but they had a dream of studying in America, either as an undergrad or a grad student, or um, eventually as a visiting scholar. And English is important to them. And if you can be nothing more than just a conversationalist with them, you will make headway in your relationship with them. Well, all that we ever have done has been what I've coined as a phrase. Now, it's mine. It's not yours. You don't even have to adopt it or like it. But essentially this, it's representing and presenting Jesus Christ. A little play on the words there. Representing and presenting Jesus Christ. Representing Jesus Christ as a believer, as a follower, as a witness of his, and presenting Jesus Christ in testimony, in preaching and teaching, in leading Bible study groups, in contributing to discussions of whatever subjects they want to bring up, and yes, in public speaking. But you might be wondering, how does English language fit into all of these ministry opportunities? Well, frankly, I think English is vital. What is the awkwardness of us going on spring break expeditions? It's the sense of, I'm going to a land where I really don't know that Malawian language, okay? I don't know French very well. I don't know German. I don't know Spanish. I mean, we're only going to Mexico, but I still know that I'm going to have trouble communicating. At least on our campuses, international students have to know English, and they want to practice their English. Most do. 90%, I would say, want to practice their English, and all you have to do is also speak English, and you've already got a head start in relationships with people. You see, international study and practice the English language for, I would think, two primary reasons. Number one, English is the world's number one language for business, education, medicine, even politics and diplomacy. English is also the required instructional language in every American, most British, and even Australian education, and now more and more foreign universities are actually teaching in English because even they recognize when Africans are coming to Europe and Europeans are coming to Australia and others are crossing over cultures, that if we can all agree that English is probably the most favorite and the most used language, even when you study in Germany today, like I have taught English in Dresden, Germany, in East Germany, and I can tell you, some of them had to learn German just to be in the classrooms of these engineering schools in Germany. But what they really want to do, conversation-wise, is write back to English. All right? Now, an international student must prove a basic proficiency in the English language in order to participate in most academic programs in the U.S., in our colleges and universities. Do you know, even after all these years, I still sometimes get adults that come up to me after a Chi Alpha missions presentation, right? I am a missionary. I make a presentation. I'm representing my ministry. And they come up and say, but how do you communicate with all these students? How many languages do you know? And I go, you know what? I was a, pair, a very poor French learner in high school and my first year of college. I can hear it and understand it. I don't converse well with it. I read very little of it. But even with French students, they don't want to talk French with you. They want to talk English with you. And so we need to understand, friends, that they have to prove a proficiency to even be accepted, then admitted, and then enrolled and welcomed here. Now, sure, there's different degrees, uh, levels of their competency and their proficiency, but the issue is here mainly is they have learned our language 
so that we might be their friend. How much easier can it get, people? Okay, we're not having to learn like we do for missions trips, a little bit of German, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, just to get through the week. They're already wanting to have conversation partners. Anybody getting anything out of this so far? All right, good. So they have to show a competency. Their competency is usually in reading and listening comprehension and reading and, I'm sorry, and writing and speaking communication. Frankly, I think many of our American high school seniors could use more of their same training. Okay, enough of that political commentary. All right, so here's the challenge, right? Most internationals probably did not learn from a native English speaker as their teacher. If I told you how many times I've had Chinese students doing the best they can in the first few days of arriving in America, always apologizing and making excuses for their poor English. But when I learn a little bit more about them, they... they and they keep mispronouncing basic words that we think of. Why do they keep pronouncing it that way? I find that it's because they had a sincere, devoted English teacher, but she was not native speaker. So that teacher back in China was probably doing the best they could, but duplicating or multiplying this mispronunciation of certain vocabulary, right? Certain words. Many of them have learned from non-native speakers who have had their own problems and inexperience with proper pronunciation, limited vocabulary, cultural context, not writing many essays in English. So can you imagine the trauma? I mean, really, trauma that an international student goes through when they come here when suddenly getting off the plane with other nationals like themselves, perhaps, having traveled halfway around the globe, and suddenly everything now is is titillating their their eyes and their ears and their words, their mouth. You know, everything now is suddenly English expression. Yeah, they might have passed what's called the TOEFL test, T-O-E-F-L, okay, the TOEFL test. But it doesn't mean that they have a lot of experience in developing their listening, their speaking, their reading and writing skills in this new American education system and this overwhelming to many English-speaking culture. Do you know, I even have international friends who tell me I was going to be uh, nervous or fearful enough about a native speaker speaking English in lectures now in my classes. But when they gave me an Indian professor with a thick Indian accent, and now I'm having to hear the English through this Indian man or this other Asian person, you can imagine how even more challenging it gets. All right? Many international students have to work so much harder than our American classmates. They have to speak with a fluency, using right grammar, right pronunciation, understand the right context, how to phrase their questions. Do you know part of the struggle with being an international student? They don't even know how to ask good questions to get the answers that then might satisfy you know, their need for more knowledge. They don't even know how to phrase sometimes. They've not had a lot of experience asking questions. Listening well. Huh? Like the Spanish grammar. That's how she was taught how I know. to speak um, Spanish. Yeah. And so it was hard for her to um, phrase um, right. English words in the right, right. order because um, um, Spanish is completely backwards right. from um, English. That's right. How many, uh, did anybody even know that? I mean, how many would say, I understood that English has its grammar but if you're looking at any of the romantic languages, right? French, Spanish, then you look at German and they like really mess. Okay, right, okay? Even though it all comes still from Latin base and such as that, okay? See, what we don't understand is they're, the Chinese student is hearing you in English, translating in Chinese, thinking it back in Chinese, and then translating in English before they can answer you. That's how the struggle is, unless they're more fluent, okay? So when a student is saying hi, it's, whoops, Hi, it's really nice to meet you. What's your name? Andrew. Andrew, it's really nice to meet you. But then all of a sudden, you start engaging them in other things other than just a greeting type of context. All of a sudden, that's why they have this look like, I'm really trying to smile, but if they could say it this way, you lost me. Mm -hmm. 
already, okay? And it's hard for them. What about reading with understanding? Do you know that international students often have to read the required material two and three and four times just to get it? See, it's not a matter that they're not putting in the time. They're actually frustrated that they're working so hard just to make it happen in the classroom. And writing technical papers? Oh, they know the science. They know the engineering. They know the technical things. But then putting it in paragraph or descriptive form, that's where they have trouble. Then when you add in the following, sorry, when you add in the following, uh, life in the English language environment is very hard. Understanding Western sense of humor. Uh, example, sarcasm. Do you know, I do actually think I have a fun spirit and a kind of a comical attitude about a lot of things, but I can't be that with international friends. It goes right over their head or it sometimes even offends them because they think you've shared something that only the inner circle of people really get and you want, they wonder like, why are they laughing? Are they laughing at me? And it has nothing to do with them. They just don't get it. Okay, and this is part of the challenge. Funny stories, anecdotal, uh, anecdotal stories, shoot, right over their head. Okay, and we have to appreciate that if we're trying to engage international students, not just through our ministries, but in your one-on-one, -on -one, just friendly conversations. References to American history, cultural expressions, public figures, idioms, colloquialisms, slang, figures of speech. Black friends, I got to tell you, they really struggle with you guys. Because I know, I know you have a legit AAV, right? African-American vernacular. Hey, I... Okay, I wasn't going to go there, but okay, all right? And I'm telling you, you can see it glaze over their eyes. They have no idea what you just said, because you either said it so fast or with new English vocabulary that they did not get back in China or wherever they came from. And so part of their anxiousness sometimes around black folk are the fact that I don't understand all of these people I already know. What makes you think I'm going to meet now this new stranger and suddenly get him? What's actually funny? Now, this is really what's funny. I think it's funny. When Asians can understand real Africans better than the African-American students that are on our campus. Okay? It's just the weirdest thing. All right. Then when you add in weather, sports, music, Fashion, sexuality, relationships, whoo! International students have a lot of stress on their lives that has nothing to do with academics, but it's how to survive in this new environment that they've dreamed about for years, and now suddenly they're here and they're going, I wonder if I can get back on the plane before it leaves, okay? Because <laughs> that happens that quick. Then when you add in things like grocery shopping, clothing shopping, getting school supplies, finding local restaurants of food they might actually like, or cooking, you can imagine that we have a lot of international students at our campuses that would love to have someone like you that would simply be sincere and patient and caring enough to walk them through this new jungle uh, of, of new experiences that they have. Many internationals choose to live and study and shop and eat and socialize together as same national groups. I really, as I build friendship with them, I really recommend to them, please don't do that. You will regret it. I've actually had students finishing a five-year PhD who say, my English is still very poor. And I've said, Rasheen, uh, you're right, it's very poor. But you know why? Because I know you're going to repeat it again. I lived with Chinese, I studied with Chinese, all of my department mates were Chinese, I cooked with Chinese, I hung out with Chinese, I had very few other, not just American, but other friends. And I said, that's why your English is still poor today, because you never really gave it a chance to stretch and grow and be practiced, okay? Now, in addition, have you ever considered the needs of visiting scholars? You know what a visiting scholar, right? Somebody who has already accomplished at least their undergrad degree, but probably more likely master's, PhD, maybe the, even what we call postdoc. They're researchers, they're uh, uh, lab technicians, they're scientists, okay? Do you know that visiting scholars don't have to prove any English competency to be welcomed to America by a university as a lab scientist or a departmental research? 
researcher. As long as they're learning and growing <clears throat> and paying the various fees, you know, to make it possible for it to be them, who cares? But it's not fair for us as American students who, if they then have a little interaction with us, they're actually some of the poorer speakers because nobody told them, you probably want to improve your English before you come. No, they just come and then they realize, wow, I need to find some other Chinese or other you know, ones like me if I'm going to survive this one-year contract as a visiting scholar. And what about this? Students' spouses, scholars' spouses, a much neglected group. Now, you guys are all undergrads. All of you are undergrads? Okay. If some of you pursue graduate studies, you're going to see more and more internationals probably on those upper levels, those higher levels of education in master's or PhD programs. Do you know that when they come with their spouse, it's a wonderful thing. I remember the days where often the husband came, the wife was still back home, maybe with kids. Or the wife came and the husband was home with the kids. Okay, and those are stressful times to be studying not just across the state or across the country, but halfway around the world. And when they come, they also don't have anybody that seems to take an interest in them and helping them really learn how to live in this English-speaking culture. Then if you also include, see how challenging this is, the IEP students. Now, I know it's known by different acronyms, but it's essentially... Um, the intensive English students, meaning the ones who are not yet qualified to be undergrads, though they're 18 or even 21, but they have to prove their English training and competency, and instead of doing it back home in their home country, they come here for like an intensive semester or two, and we have a lot of NC State students, they want to be engineering students, but they're going to have to go through a semester or two of intensive English. Well, what do you do with those students? They're even poorer in their proficiency than the ones who are your classmates in your undergraduate studies. So you can see there's quite a challenge when it comes to not only having eyes and ears for international students on your campus, which we should have a heart for, but then the challenges that we have even in the language. It's not that they don't know the language. They've just not had a lot of practice or context by which to express the English language. But if Kyle students would be nothing more than just friends and conversation partners, I'm telling you, your ministries would explode in its evangelism. It would explode in your discipleship and raising up of other leaders who then could reach their own on campus. Well, that's a little bit about what I want to talk to you about today. And I'm well into it and I need to hurry along or all of our time will be gone. So let's consider a few things. Let's consider initiating new outreach to internationals via these strategies. By the way, do not be thinking that that was a 30-minute introduction, and now I'm starting what oh, I want to share, okay? We're well into the presentation. I didn't want you to make, make your nerves there, okay? We're going to talk about several things. The first thing, friendly one-on conversations. You know, when I began uh, in international student ministry with Chi Alpha, we were actually called ISFM, International Student Friendship Ministries. And we were long thought to be the auxiliary of Chi Alpha, the extension, like the subgroup of Chi Alpha. Much of my ministry in those years was reaching international students to the exclusion of much of the American student population on campus. But XA is very much, I'm sorry, XAI is very much now of the DNA or, or the, the foundation of what XA is all about. I want you to know that back then, all I knew to do was to engage new international students in friendly conversation. I feel like I'm a friendly guy. I just used my personality and just started meeting students. Yeah, you welcome them. You get acquainted with them. Um, you start to better appreciate their English communication level, and you work with it, right? You're not giving some questions. You're not speaking so fast. You're not using vocabulary that you know they don't have a clue as to what you just said. In fact, most international friends that I've had for years now, former students of our ministries, said, Steve, the reason I was so interested in what you had to say is because you talked to me with good diction, right? good articulation. You weren't in such a hurry just to say what you wanted to say, but you made sure that I understood all that you were saying, whether that was in a Bible study context or just a conversation. Friends, we I think we assume too much sometimes that even when we say something real quick, and then we get these, you know, uh, strange looks, it's like that ought to be the clue that maybe they didn't get what you said the first time. Please repeat it. And international students will do that. 
they will say, excuse me, could you repeat that, please? Could you say that again, please? And they're not being rude. They're actually showing you their interest in wanting to know what you just said. But just, can you repeat it? Determine if they want to be friends with me or make friends of others. And you can even discern some spiritual interests that they might have. But none of that's going to happen until you talk, people, until you converse with them. Okay? So, uh, just like you were saying to me earlier, right? Um, friends are just strangers. Is that the way you say it? Friends are just strangers you haven't met yet. Or strangers are friends you haven't met yet. That's the way it is, right? <laughs> strangers are friends that you just haven't met yet. By serving new students and meeting real, felt, practical needs, a relationship can begin and trust can grow. The more conversations that you uh, would enjoy with each of them, then the more your friendship will grow. Then there's another thing that I might call personal hospitality and inclusion. Would you make room in your heart for a few more friends? And would you make room for some of those friends to be internationals? What is that saying? You got to be intentional. Now, how many of you are so good at making friends that it, ju it just happens? I mean, like you don't even see it coming. Okay, now I'm being a little sarcastic, but I see you raising your hands. In other words, some of us, it is easier. But can I tell you, with most international students, if you're not intentional, if it doesn't clearly come across that you're interested in them and that you would like to be their friend, they will just go along with what they've been hearing. How are you doing? I'm fine. Walking right past them. Hey, see you later? Yeah, see you later. And they never see you later. See? Even in that expression, see you later, they think he's intentionally, she's intentionally going to be looking for me. Like the story that Neely gave, right? Where um, Alejandra, right? Intentionally waited for them to come. How many of us are willing to do whatever it takes to engage students that it might be hard, it might be harder work than with your regular fellow American students, but the rewards are great. See, as students, we need to think of ways that you can spend time together with international students. How about this? Study together, eat together, be involved in campus activities. By the way, attend their sports, not yours. There's a guy here named Toby. He's the one who, um, brought inspiration to us today about the CMIT program, right, Toby? Okay. Toby probably knows, well, he does. Toby knows more Indian students on our campus than I do. And I've been there for seven and a half years. And of course, it's not all the same students that stay, you know, the cycling of, of um, campus population. But it's because Toby joined the cricket team. Now, how many here know cricket? So, okay, I'm impressed. You know the game cricket. He learned the game. He photographed for the team. Eventually, they said, why don't we actually teach you how to play? He played these four and eight hour games of cricket, you know, with his Indian friends. But he's on the inside now of the Indian student population of almost a thousand students on our campus because everybody knows Toby. He's the American guy that really does like Indian students and their favorite game of cricket. And if not cricket, Football, right? Or soccer, all right? Play their games. Go to their arts expressions. Go to their cultural events. Um, find out what is of special interest to them. What about kayak activities? Are you inviting new international friends to at least come through the side door, maybe not the front door, but the side door of Chi Alpha through a social event, a recreational event? How about intramurals? You know, internationals have grown up playing ball, playing sports. And now suddenly they're in an American university where nobody invites them to play? Play! Community programs, inviting them into your apartment or your dorm, inviting them home on the weekend when you go and say, hey, why don't you come hang out? We'll do laundry together. Well, my mom will. Uh, we'll cook together. Well, my mom will. Okay? And you can see my bedroom from all of my life. You know, okay. You know, why not invite them into opportunities like that? Now, regarding helping students improve their English use, Consider this, for the IEPs, the ones who really are basic in their English um, expression, I would encourage them in their learning and use of the language. If you know, if they, if they self-identify, I'm an IEP student. I am here to learn English before they'll ever give me a chance to actually enroll in the university. Once you know that, what should that trigger? I better be real patient and real kind or else I'm going to blow them out of the water and they'll never want to talk to me again because I've embarrassed them. I've made them uncomfortable. What about for enrolled undergraduate or grad level students? 
who've already passed TOEFL, they're already studying on your campus, well, I just try to look forward to opportunities to where I can stretch them a little bit, engage them in conversation, maybe bring up a topic It's like, uh, what do you mean? Uh, tell me some more. And then maybe you open up some new things for them. Listen, you should have the attitude of wanting to learn and grow as a university student. Do you not think that these, somebody else's kids, their sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters and nephews and nieces, don't you think they have the same attitude too? They're already in a mindset of, I want to learn and grow. Why not help them learn and grow by helping them with the language? I never helped any student with their homework. I'm not that smart. Molecular biology, uh, cellular immunology. Are you kidding? Look at me. Do I look that smart? Okay. <laughs> I never help students with their homework, but I have proofread plenty of term papers and plenty of 100-page PhD theses. Okay. Why? Because that, that I'm a friend that they trust, that even though I may still make some mistakes, I'm not perfect in the English language, but at least I was willing to help them get the better grade because I proofread some of what they were trying to communicate in English. All right, what about English and American culture conversation groups? Okay, I'm trying to hurry along. Some enrolled students would begin to invite and bring other international friends to join our conversation groups. Some small groups of us would meet at times during the week. We would talk about their lives, current events on campus, especially, you know, some of our campuses in the South here are still having the, the racial issues. And some of them don't feel like, is there anybody I can talk to about this? Is this a real problem? Should I be concerned? Okay. Um, this demonstrating on campus, hey, I might as well go home if I want public protest, right? Because they're from the socialist, um, you know, countries that this is a frequent thing. They actually get nervous about things that we, it doesn't even phase us at all, but they're nervous about some things. But then I begin to notice a very needy and neglected group on our campus community. For example, there were spouses of international grad students and visiting scholars and their spouses who very often were hesitant and awkward to talking with other Americans and internationals. Why? Because they're not the student. They're the spouses of the students. And so they haven't had to prove anything except their marriage, their relationship to be able to come with their student spouse. But you know what they're doing from morning to night until their spouse comes back out. They're probably held up in their apartment not wanting to dare come out that they might have to actually converse and interact with somebody in the English language. So we started conversation groups in the international housing. It first started with some Turkish women who were the spouses of policemen from Ankara, Turkey. I started with four wives, Muslim women, who I had to have the permission and was glad to ask the permission of their husbands and invited some other women retired school teachers to be my helpful volunteer tutors. And we started conversation groups that in one year started with four. And five years later, I had 50 in three different groups in advanced English training. Why? Because I saw a need and I started something to try to meet that need. And then look how God grew it in great outreach. Do you know I have Muslim students today back in Turkey who may not be followers of Jesus, but they know a whole lot more about him and they've lived real life with some at least American and other internationals. And so they are less anti-Christian than they ever were before they came. And isn't that still a plus? I think so, right? So a um, couple recommendations. Again, I know our time. By the way, let me say this. I was going to say this in just a few minutes as we are concluding, but we're, we're close to finishing here. But I do want to say this, okay? In a few minutes, if you need to go because our time is finished, and that's just about now, okay, then you go. Some of you are going to be interested in going to that special session on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you need to go, you go because that starts about 4 o'clock, and you can see that on the schedule and the map where you need to go. Huh? That's what I'm saying. You have to look. I don't even know. You'll have to look on the website or on your schedule. Or some of you might be interested in the CMIT coffee and conversations, right? You want to go there to kind of hear what others are thinking about the CMIT program. Some of you may want to sneak a nap in before dinner and evening, okay? Right, can I get an amen? Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Or some of you may want to just get a head start on dinner, okay? You're already hungry again. So I'm just telling you that if you need to... 
Now, I hope not half of you are going to walk out so suddenly, but if some of you have appointments or you're meeting other friends in about 10 minutes, then you do that. But if you'll give me 10 more minutes, right to about 4 o'clock, then we'll still finish, and then I'm available to you um, to answer any further questions. That's the advantage of having the last session of a two-hour block. At least you can, it's kind of like second service at church, right? Okay, okay. you can actually have an altar call, okay? You know, instead of feeling like you guys got to go because the new ones are coming in, right? All right, so let me conclude by just mentioning a few more. Is any of this helpful? Is it Okay, I hope it's inspiring to you, okay? All right, so a few more things um, because I want to mention some of this. This has been one of the best little books I have used for decades now. And again, those who text me, I'm going to give you the reference to where you can find this on Amazon. You can order it for yourself. It's about a $10 little book, A Look Inside America. It's brief introductions of America's annual holidays, the history and the persons associated with those holidays, the cultural activities and celebrations affiliated with them. A great little book. Now, eventually, what grew in my conversation groups was actual English classes. Now, if there was a, if, I can't think of a better example of somebody bluffing his way through leadership of English language instruction than me. Okay, I did not know what I was doing for a few years, but they all loved it. Why? Because it was community. It was bringing people together that had a shared experience of wanting to learn. And so we had eight or ten nations and people groups represented in every group that we started. And some of them actually came to a place to where not just conversation practice, not just learning new vocabulary, learning about American culture and holidays, but also it became a place to where we actually tested and divided between beginners, intermediate, and advanced learners most of them wanting to advance to the next level, at least by a proficiency in this time that they were here in America. Do you know, eventually I got to a place to where I realized, I don't, you know, what do they say about a leader? You can only take people as far as you have gone yourself, right? Whether that's devotionally or in ministry experience. I finally realized they're going to figure out sooner or later. I really don't know what I'm doing. Now they loved, <laughs> they loved it, but I, I, I finally submitted myself while a campus missionary, while the district director, while in itineration for a new budget that I had to be a grad student. And in one school year, I earned 18 hours, 4.0, thank you. Okay, 18 hour, 18 uh, credit hours in a certificate of TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language that included a practicum of six weeks in Dresden, Germany. Now it was hard work being a campus missionary and a full-time grad student. But I'm so glad I did what I did because then it helped me come back that next fall to these classes of mostly spouses of enrolled students and helping them truly progress in their development of the English language such that some of them then passed their TOEFL test, got admitted into master's and PhD programs, have now graduated with those degrees, and I'm a proud man of saying I was a part of that. And our volunteers were a part of that, and I'm really glad for that. All right, quickly along. Again, if you need to go, you go, and with my blessing. All right, so Bible study groups. When interest is discerned and relationship is established and trust is earned, yeah, I began inviting students to improve, now get this, to improve their English and understanding of Western culture by being involved in a Christian Bible study group. Do you know I actually had students tell me, I'm not really here for Jesus or Christianity or Bible. I just want to be here to hear you teach, understand what you're saying, have a little interaction, read and write, and I want to improve my English. Then you're welcome. You come. <laughs> because I know reading scriptures in same Bibles once a week listening to each other read and the teacher teach, phrasing questions and my responses to them and their further questions to the teacher and to each other, the speaking practice that they got, the writing notes in their notebooks and to help retention and learning. Folks, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And if you're leading students in Bible study, they're going to get the English and so much more. Okay, And so if we're going to include English as missions, I'm telling you, I hope you come to a place to where you can say, would you like to join our small group? 
Would you like to join our weekly gathering? Would you like to join a small group of other international friends uh, like yourself that we're going to try to introduce the Bible to you? It works. Friends, I'm a big advocate for leading new Bible students through a survey of the Bible first. Some start with John, some start with one of the other Gospels, but I'm here to tell you that in 25 years of international student ministry, I'm a big advocate for leading people through an introduction, a Bible 101, a survey of the Bible first, learning about who God is, how he made all things, how man sinned against God, and how now generations of mankind resisted friendship with God, and how God fulfilled his plan and promise to send a Savior to reconcile us to himself. These resources right here that, again, you're welcome to come look at as we dismiss. I know this is the most important book in the English language so that we can all read and learn and discuss together. But the recommended resources that I want to share with you are, are gold to me. There's a series called Firm Foundations, Creation to Christ. It's 48 lessons, takes two semesters. Can you imagine that? Students that you just met three weeks earlier, and they agree to meet with you from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock on a Thursday night every week for fall semester and spring semester. And they come to Christ because of what you've taught them and what they've learned and if not that, if that's too much, Bill Perry's Storyteller's Bible series. It's these lessons condensed down to 13 lessons. Well, that's quite a condensation, right? 48 down to 13 that can be accomplished in one semester. In fact, this actually can be self-learned. It's designed as that way. And if not that, then this book condensed down to this book, condensed down to this book that reads more like a novel the Stranger on the Road to Emmaus is a summary of the Creation to Christ series. And how many, you do appreciate what I'm saying, from creation to Christ revealed and his suffering and great penalty that he paid for on our behalf, I can't tell you the joy. I can tell you the stories. If you want to hang out for dinner tonight, I can tell you stories of students who, once we establish friendship with and trust, and there's that sense of I'm communicating and they're understanding, and we can bring these students together. This year alone, this school year alone, that actually bled over to the summer and then this fall, it was necessary because of some unique things were happening. Five, Chinese, five Chinese students that a year, just a little bit more than a year ago, had never touched a portion of scripture, never heard one Bible study, didn't even know his name, that we were all striving to come to be revealed, are now followers of Jesus Christ, baptized in water. Two went to All Nations International Student Conference with me last May. They're all actively involved, get this, in the Chinese Christian Fellowship. So I have reached and discipled students who aren't even going to be in Chi Alpha. But what do I care, right? Because we've won them to Christ through a Bible study series that others have field-tested around the world, and actually I've had a part in editing some of the material, and it's been my privilege so that I could see students come to Christ. But what is the foundation again? I get nowhere if I have to learn Chinese just to be able to communicate with them. But because they learned English, it makes it so much easier for us to have some place to start. All right, final things. What about involvement in Chi Alpha community, ministries, and activities? We want international friends to belong even before they believe. Amen? Amen. We want American students to even belong before they believe. Today, some of the best English language interaction our international friends have during the week is when we invite them to what we do at NC State called Friday Night International Fellowship. There's a believer's prayer meeting for the nations. Then we follow it by eating a meal together. We used to do it in my home. My wife was cooking for 40 to 50 students every Friday night and cramming them into my living room no bigger than this space, okay? And now we meet on campus. But eating a meal together, playing mixer games, getting to know each other, having announcements about upcoming activities. Again, it's all English communication, but that's what they also enjoy. And then we did things like Bible discovery presentations from the Word of God, small table group discussions. What you have happen in your D groups, life groups, small groups, whatever you call the small group ministry, we have especially designed 
where we are on our campus, what works for us, understand, is the small group life as we bring everybody together on a Friday night so that we're all together and then in table groups, we break it down as far as discussion and application and prayer over those things. We close out the game with games. Let me tell you something. Laughter is good medicine. And when you mix laughter into anything in cross-cultural ministry, it's just exponentially, your effectiveness is going to grow. Everybody loves to play, right? Everybody loves to have fun and laugh. All right, finally, include some internationals in your social, recreational, and holiday and cultural activities. Some of the best, most open and honest talks I've had and Christian students have had with internationals have been while we've been hiking, picnicking, on the beach, on road trips, excursions, sightseeing adventures. Don't discount that all you got to do is fill up a car or a van with people and you're already on your way to having a great cross-cultural witness into their lives. And one more thing that I added just a few minutes ago before I came up here because I, I can't believe that I forgot it. It's this, helping internationals transition. Even if you're barely making headway, making progress in a new relationship with international. Maybe you don't even meet them until, say, next month, and then they're going to be leaving in May. When they graduate and they either take first jobs in America and work here for a few years, or soon after graduation, they return to their home country, they would probably appreciate a friend who helps them think through and prepare for what's next. Don't you hope that you receive that as an American? Like, hey, I'm actually going to graduate in May. What am I going to do in June? Right? And we think it's all about internships and job interviews and stuff like that, but there's more to life after graduation for internationals than, than we sometimes give them credit for. What if they have been impacted by the gospel? What if they've been impacted by being involved with you and your Kaiapha ministries? What if your friendship alone has made such a difference in their lives that they've got questions, right? They're going back to Saudi Arabia. They're going back to Muslim Nigeria. They're going back to this and that. And you know what? They've probably got questions they're not sure they should even be asking. But if you, through your relationship and English communication, can help them prepare for going home, for what's next, you will be a friend for life. I told you I've been in Kyofa for 25 years. A baby girl that my wife and I brought home from a Liberian couple, the mother gave birth to her, is now a sophomore student at NC State 21 years later after it happened. For some of you who are thinking longevity in campus ministry, you don't have the stories that I do. But I'm telling you, there is joy in seeing not just generational discipleship. You know what I mean, right? One who disciples another who disciples another. But I mean true babies growing up and following Jesus today because you reached their parents a generation before. Now, some of you is like, okay, I don't know why you're so sentimental, so teary-eyed about this, Steve. Oh, listen, I'm telling you. Look forward to it. And so I've used materials like Lisa Chin's Think Home, a reentry guide for Christian international students. How to go back to China, where they're not going to have the same community as we do. We say, well, don't they have the underground church? They just have to figure out where they're all meeting. Oh, there's so much more to that than, than you may understand. Or Back Home, actually a devotional booklet. You, you lead them through it, but then you send it with them because their first six weeks back home are killer. I mean, it might be make or break. They're continuing. Do you know that still most Chinese students who come to faith in Christ in America fall away from Christ within six months to a year back home in China because we are not connecting them with Christian communities there and we have not discipled them to be abiding in Jesus and developing disciplines this side of their education and then we send them back and then we're disappointed to hear that they're not still following Jesus, maybe we didn't do them much good on this side to help them get ready for that. Friends, I appreciate the time that I've had with you. I hope you can sense that wherever I've failed in information, I hope I've made up for it in passion, okay? 
Um, I love what God's called me to do. And even at this season of my life, I'm still hoping that God will use me in wonderful ways to impact internationals and the American friends they have so that we can all represent and present Jesus Christ. And the advantage we have as English speakers with those who learn English so that they might be our classmates, I believe it's God-ordained. Let's take advantage of it. Amen? Thanks, guys.